Yes, we could. Well, good evening. While the praise team is coming forward, I'm going to invite you all to please stand. And uh, let's open our time together by, by singing. We're still waiting for one, Erin. Her name is Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
your singing, I invite you to be seated. All right, there we go. Good evening. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here tonight. It's so good to see you. Now, I'll tell you something. If you are a born-again child of God, you better learn that song. Because according to the book of Revelation, that's what we sing. As we gather around the throne of Christ for all of eternity, we sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory forever and ever Amen. So we're just getting some heaven practice in tonight, okay? Uh, so uh, I like that song. I hope that uh, you were able to sing uh, that along with us. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. For those of you that are our guests, thank you for coming and worshiping with us. Uh, it's good to have you with us tonight. And uh, it was good to see our friend, uh, Brother Joe Mullis, who's pastor at Mount Lebanon Baptist Church, come in here. And y'all thought it was Colonel Sanders, but no, it's uh, Joe Mullis. He's a, he's a pastor, uh, but he uh, is just a dear friend, even though we don't get to talk and see each other very much. He and I were called to preach out of the same church at the same time. So we came out of Trinity Baptist Church in Monroe just uh, kind of almost hand in hand and entered into Fruitland uh, Baptist uh, Bible Institute at the same time. And that's where we met the Jack, I mean the, the man that's going to preach tonight. Uh, Brother uh, Anthony Clemens, just a wonderful, wonderful friend and a great preacher. And I'll tell you a little bit more about him uh, in just a little bit. But thank you again for being here. Uh, next Monday night, we'll meet again at 7 o'clock. Dr. Mike Whitson, who is the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Indian Trail, will be our guest preacher. And then the following Monday night, the last Monday night in this month, uh, Reverend Quintel Hill uh, will be with us. He is the pastor at Multiply Church in Monroe, and he's also uh, the president of our state Baptist convention. And I think you're going to be blessed by Brother Quintel, and he's here as well. So uh, we had good preaching last Monday night. Uh, I expect nothing short of that tonight, and we've got good preaching lined up for the rest of the month. So I hope that you'll be with us uh, each Monday night as you can at 7 o'clock. Let's begin our time with prayer, and then we'll continue uh, in our worship through song. Our Father and our God, how good it is to be in His house of worship, uh, to be able to gather on a Monday night. Uh, it's just been a, a cold day, kind of a raw-feeling day, but Lord, it's so, it's so warm with the fellowship of the body of Christ in this building, and we thank you for the opportunity being able to come together. Thank you for every person who's given up their time, their energy, uh, to be a part of this service tonight. Lord, we just pray that it truly will be a time of revival. Because you told us, Lord, that if we humble ourselves and we turn from our sin and we pray and we seek your face, that you will bring revival to us and to our land. And Lord, I pray that truly tonight that is the desire of our heart. 
So, Lord, thank you for every person that's here. Guide us as we go through our time together. Anoint our speaker tonight, Lord, as he stands to preach. We pray for each one who's going to lead us as we sing. We pray, God, that you anoint them from on high and that as we go through our time of worship together, whether by song or in the word, that the name of Jesus will be exalted above every name because truly, Lord Jesus, you and you alone are worthy of our honor and our praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive tonight's message, I'm going to invite you to stand and let's continue to worship together through song.
Well, I don't know that our speaker is a stranger to most of you. Uh, some of you may not have had the privilege or the opportunity to meet uh, Brother Anthony yet, but uh, I know for those of you that maybe have been around for a little while here at the church, you may remember uh, him being with us and his family having come and uh, sung with us. They uh, have a, a gospel group that sings together. Uh, Brother Anthony was sharing with me over dinner just a little bit ago that uh, his father, who passed in 2015, I believe it was, that this was the last place that they got to sing together as a family uh, before his passing. So what an honor for us, uh, great man of God, uh, and uh, we miss him. But we're glad to have uh, Brother Anthony Clemens with us, who is the pastor of Mount Olive Baptist Church in Bolivia, North Carolina. Brother, how long have you been there now? Since 88. Since 88. Okay, I, I think that's... Uh, a few years longer than I've been here, but yeah, I, uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's amazing that uh, that he's been there that long. Because you know, it seems that uh, we live in a day and age where uh, pastors seem to come and go a lot, uh, but to be able to stay there and to love those people and build that church. Uh, so, Brother Anthony uh, from Mount Olive Baptist Church is going to come and preach for us in just a moment. Brother Anthony, we've got um, some special music, and when these folks are finished. Man, we're going to turn you loose. You just come and preach what God's laid upon your heart. You close the service as you see fit. But it's an honor and a privilege to have you here. Uh, I love you, man. I hope you know that. He's a, he's a dear friend. Met him on January 1st, 1991. Uh, that's when we met. And so uh, we've, we've known each other for a little while. So I hope that you'll be blessed by his preaching as God uses him. Uh, in our service tonight. God bless you. Can we start over? I think it's it was already into the song. Sorry. How I long Breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone And mercy fills the streets To look upon The one who bled to save me And walk with him For all eternity There will be 
Amen. Holy is the Lord. Do you believe it? Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, my, what a, uh, a great uh, welcoming uh, through way of song of the Holy Spirit tonight to our time of worship. And I appreciate all of the efforts of our singers and those playing the instruments. And uh, thank you so much for being here, for choosing this place uh, to be tonight. Look, there are a lot of places you could be, and uh, you've chosen to be here, and so uh, thank you so much for that, for 
for honoring the Lord and, and honoring this uh, place of worship. And uh, such an honor to me to be able to be here tonight. I love you, Pastor, and his wife and their family. And uh, the Lord has blessed me. Uh, you know, one of the, um, we, we talk about heaven and, and the, the many things that are yet to come uh, for knowing Christ as Savior. Uh, but you know, he's given us a lot of blessings down here. I call them fringe benefits of salvation. And uh, one of the fringe benefits of my salvation is being able to know folks like your pastor and his family and Joe Mullis and, and uh, others that the Lord has blessed me to be a part of. And you know, um, here's something to think about, and maybe you could name someone off in your life. If I'd never been saved, I would have most likely never known Tommy Ross. And so it's just a, a wonderful fringe benefit of my salvation to, to be able to know him. Now, uh, just a couple of housekeeping things to uh, let you know about. Um, uh, Ronnie, stand up uh, back there if you would for me, please. Ronnie McKeithen's with me tonight. Stand up, Ronnie. Ronnie McKeithen's with me. In fact, come down front, Ronnie. Um, <clears throat> come, come on down here, Ronnie. And uh, so... Uh, Ronnie is uh, one of my um, bouncers, and uh, so uh, he's, he's, I just need you to know that if you make a wrong move toward the pulpit, uh, I cannot be responsible for what happens to you, all right? Show, show him that arm, Ronnie. Yep, yep. When, the last time that thing got away from him, it whooped him and three other people, all right? So... Uh, uh, this is Ronnie McKeith, and he's one of my deacons. He come to help keep me straight tonight and keep me awake on the way home. So, Ronnie, thank you for being here tonight. <clears throat> also have a dear friend from over at Oak Burr that's with us tonight. Uh, we're actually over at Big Lick, uh, Brother Larry Wayne Smith. Brother, thank you so much for being here tonight and, and uh, honoring us. So, uh, the Lord has been good. Uh, if you'd like to take your copy of the Scripture... And begin making your way over to the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now those of you that uh, have been here before whenever I've been preaching, uh, this will be a repeat to you. But for those of you that have never heard me preach, uh, whenever the Lord a number of years ago now placed it on my heart that as I'm going in different places uh, to preach that I would have a prayer team that serves with me. It's strictly volunteer. It's a different prayer team each time I go somewhere to preach. And so they covenant with me to pray if the Lord so leads them to fast meals uh, about the time that I'm going to be preaching. They are, they are praying for us right now. Uh, I've already received texts throughout the day from others that have been praying. And they're, so they're a part of this time with us. And so I thank them, and just you just know that they're praying for me, and they're praying for the services here tonight. I'm so thankful to have that prayer team as I, I go away to preach in other places. And then the other thing is uh, that whenever I'm preaching, the, the word amen, the word amen is a word of agreement. And so as I'm preaching, if you say amen, that lets me know that you and I are on the same page. If you don't say amen, it causes me to think that maybe you disagree with me, and so I have to labor a little longer in the message, and it usually takes me twice as long to preach. 
And uh, so hopefully, there you go. There's always at least one in the crowd that catches on. And uh, so, uh, but it is a joy uh, to be here with you tonight and to be a part of these uh, special times. However, I must admit, uh, if you had uh, Pastor Harris last week and you have Mike Whitson next week, I feel a little bit like a mule in the Kentucky Derby, <laughs> uh, but uh, it is a joy to be able to be here. Your pastor asked me, uh, said something about me wearing the tie, and so I didn't say this to him, I just thought I'd say it to all of you at the same time. Uh, last May, I had covid and so after COVID, I put on some weight, and I haven't gotten all that weight off. And so, but I, I never change shirt sizes. And so this tie is not only for looks, it's also for deflection. Because if I were to sneeze, I would be in the midst of an active shooter situation. <laughs> and uh, so uh, that's, that's part of the reason for the tie, okay? All right, Second Kings chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 tonight. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him now come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abanah and Farpar rivers of Damascus? Better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, 
And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the reading and the study of your word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to stand and proclaim the precious, holy, infallible, inerrant word of God. And Lord, we are so thankful that it's not an outdated book. But Lord, in this precious book contains, Lord, your word. It is truth. It is applicable to our every need. And so, Lord, tonight, we ask that you might speak. Lord, we ask that you might meet us where we are and through your word, take us to where you would have us to be. Thank you for this dear church, for the folks that assemble here, for the pastor and his family. Lord, may you be honored and glorified tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, character studies are uh, great things to do in the Bible. If you're looking for a way to study your Bible, sometimes people tell me, I, I get caught up in reading the Bible. I get caught up because I don't know where to start. I, I don't really know where the best place to end. I don't know how many chapters to read and uh, all sorts of things like that. One of the great ways to study the Word of God is to do so through character studies. And, uh, and I love meeting the people on the pages of God's Word. Some of them we know by name. Some of them are more familiar than others. Some of them we've heard their stories since we were small children in, in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And then we encounter folks sometimes on the pages of God's Word that were never even told their names. And, uh, and it's just amazing all the different characters uh, that we get to meet in the Word of God. Uh, this particular study, as you've already seen tonight, deals with a person by the name of Naaman. Now, there appears to be two Naamans in the Scripture. One is the son of Benjamin that's found over in Genesis uh, chapter 46 and verse 21 and later mentioned in Numbers 26:40, and 1 Chronicles 8, who, by the way, is recognized as having his own tribe of ites, the Naamites, and then there is the subject of our study today, Naaman of Second Kings here in chapter 5. And so we encounter the man, Naaman. So the title of the message tonight details in the life of Naaman. But as we look at this character in the Bible, and as we look at some of the surrounding events in his life, I hope that the Holy Spirit will take you on a journey and will allow you to see maybe how the Word of God, as it deals with the life of Naaman, has relevance to your own life. And so I pray that we can take that journey together tonight. Note with me, if you would, first of all, the description of this man, Naaman. We see it there in that verse 1. Again, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. As we study this uh, man, Naaman, we find out, first of all, that he is a man of authority. The Bible describes him as being the captain of the host. Now, it simply means this, that he was the captain of the army, of the fighting men of that land. And by the way, uh, they were not some pushover group of guys. Uh, they knew about victory. Uh, they knew how to conquer a land. They knew how to conquer uh, 
a foe that was uh, actually uh, quite a great foe in and of themselves. But yet, even now, he has been the leader of the captain of the host, the leader of the army that has been able to overcome uh, those that were the part of the army of Israel. And so he was a man that was recognized in the land. If someone mentioned the name Naaman, uh, then of course they knew immediately who you were speaking of. And so he was a person that carried authority. Uh, in that place in which that he was from. He was not only a man of authority, but a man of greatness. It, it seems somewhat repetitive, but yet it's different in a sense. Uh, he says in that second part of the verse, uh, not only a captain of the host of the king of Syria, but was a great man. And the terminology that's used there in the Hebrew text, if you do a, Bible, a word study on that word great, uh, Strong's helps to identify the word in this way. He says it like this. The word that's used there in the Hebrew text means that he, the word is great in any setting in which it is placed. So if the word was used here in the Hebrew text uh, about Locust Baptist Church, you would not just be First Baptist Church of Locust. You would be the great First Baptist Church of Locust. If it spoke of, of a particular automobile, it would not be just any automobile. It wouldn't just be a Chevrolet. It would be a great Ford, for instance. And, and so the, the word has significance. No matter what it is coupled with, it shows greatness to the fullest extent. And so he was a man of authority. And then the Bible goes on to teach us that he was a man of greatness. He was also a man of honor. The Bible says a great man with his master and honorable. Now, in order for a person to be labeled as honorable, it means that there has to be some comparison made. In order for you to receive honor, you have to receive honor above others. Honor students in school, they receive that mention of being honorable because they are honorable in their grades above others. If you are a honorable, an honorable person, it is because you are honorable among and above those that are around you. So whenever we look at the life of Naaman, we find out he's not only a man of authority, he is not only a man of greatness, he is a man of honor among his peers. All of those that are around him will look up to him as an honorable man. He is honorable above and beyond those that are in his circles. And then the Bible goes on to say that he was a man of mighty valor, if you would. The term that is used there uh, means, well, let me give you, in fact, a, what would be a modern translation or perhaps a modern parallel of being a man of mighty valor. Whenever you walked into the arena of where he might be standing, someone might punch his buddy in the side and say, let me tell you something, that guy right there is a force to be reckoned with. He is different from anybody else in the arena. If you're looking for somebody to take down, go ahead and start at the top. Start with Naaman and then work yourself down. He is a force 
to be reckoned with. And then the Bible lets us know that he is also known in many ways as a man of irony. Did you notice what it said of him? Because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now, uh, who was it that he had gone and led the captain of the, as the captain of the host? Who did he lead them against to get this type of title? It was against Israel. It was against God's people. And the Bible says that, that through the Lord used him to give that deliverance to Syria. And so he's somewhat of a man of irony. Here he is, a man of a heathen land that God used in order to carry out God's blessings and in order to carry out God's instruction for his people. That's one of the things I love about the beauty and the wonder and the amazement and the power of God. Every now and then I hear somebody say, well, you know what, preacher, I don't even believe in God. And I sort of chuckle in the back of my mind because I realize, you know what, you don't even have to believe in God for God to use you. Even if you don't even speak his name, even if you don't believe he exists, God can still use you to carry out his purposes and you might not even know anything about it. That's just how powerful my God is. And so he's a man of irony. He's a man that God used in an extraordinary way to carry out his plan and his will. And so it sounds like that, that Naaman is really the man on the block. I mean, if you're going to have bring your parent to school day, can you just see Naaman's son saying, Dad, that they're having bring your parent to school day and everybody in the school knows you and, and you have to come. I want to stand beside you at the front of the class. I, I want you to be right there. They know who you are, Dad. I would love to do that. But, Dad, I can't do that because there's something else that the Bible says about you. The Bible also says that you were a leper. And, Dad, I can't carry you into my school. I can't carry you into my schoolroom. In fact, Dad, there's only a certain number of places that you're going to be able to go because of all the great things that you've accomplished of all of your list of credentials, of all the accolades that you have received in your life, there's a cloud that hangs over your head, and that is this, that you're a leper. Can I tell you, friend, you can accomplish so many things in this life, you, you may be perceived as being a person of authority. You, you may be perceived as being a person of greatness. You may be perceived as being a person of honor, maybe even a force to be reckoned with. But I want to tell you something, whenever all is said and done, and whenever the dust of your life has settled, if you die in your sins and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of that will have meant absolutely nothing Because over your head hangs the great cloud of sin. And unless you're forgiven and pardoned of your sins, you'll spend an eternity separated from a holy and righteous God. And so it may be tonight that someone sits in one of these pews a person of authority maybe, maybe a person of greatness, maybe a person of irony. Maybe you consider yourself to be a force to be reckoned with. 
But as you know, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that oftentimes uh, having leprosy was a symbol of sin and a symbol of rebellion. And I'm telling you tonight, if you still find yourself in rebellion against a holy and righteous God, it is a cloud that's hanging over your head, not just here in this place, but unless you change, it will follow you into eternity. And so we see tonight the description of, of Naaman. Secondly, I want us to look at the intervention for Naaman. In verses 2 through 4, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. Verse 5, And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send the letter unto the king of Israel. Now, have any of you ever read a screenplay? Any of you ever done that? A printed screenplay. So, so you have on that screenplay, uh, depending on, of course, what the, the play is, has the person's name, and then it has their line. This is what they say. And, and as you're reading the screenplay, it may say that uh, he, he comes from a particular place, he enters from here, he exits there, and you see all these different descriptions that are taking place on the screenplay, and it sort of helps keep everybody in place, but it helps you to know what's going on in the midst of the play. And as I'm reading this story, I read about Naaman and, and, and all the things that he accomplished, but yet there was this cloud that was hanging over his head. For me, it's almost like reading a screenplay. And so here I am, I'm reading this screenplay down through verse 1, and then all of a sudden, it's as if I, I read in the margin, inner stage right, and God steps on the scene. And let me tell you something. Whenever God steps on the scene, everything always changes. I mean, it doesn't matter where you place him. Nothing is ever the same after he's been there. It's sort of like the young preacher that uh, he, he was asked to do his very first funeral. And he thought, man, he was scared, slapped to death. And believe you, that means he was real nervous. And uh, he is, he, I mean, he was just tore up from the ground up. And he's thinking, I, I want to make sure I do everything right. I don't want to say anything wrong. Don't want to be out of the way. And so he thought, you know what? I'll, I'll just read and see how Jesus conducted a funeral. And come to find out, every time Jesus went to a funeral, they came back alive. I mean, everywhere Jesus goes, everywhere God is, nothing is ever the same. And so here in the midst of Naaman's life, it's interstage right, if you would. God steps onto the scene, and things are never the same after that. So, so notice what God is up to, if you would. Notice that in the midst of this story of Naaman, we find the caring of a God-fearing servant girl. The caring of a God-fearing servant girl. Uh, the, the Bible says of her... I, I wish, in verse 3, she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Now, I find that somewhat interesting. 
The Bible lets us know that the reason that she is in the place that she is in is because she has been taken captive from her homeland. She has been displaced from her family. She has been displaced from those surroundings that were so near and dear to her. She has been misplaced from the people and the things that she loved most. And now she has been placed in this heathen land, if you would, in this pagan land, in this home that is against everything that she's ever been taught in all of her life. And she finds herself there in this place. But whenever she hears about the master of the house having this problem in his life of being a leper, the Bible says that she has enough compassion about his situation that she reaches out to help him. Now that's amazing to me because she's not a fairy tale person in the story. She's a real person. She, she has blood flowing her, in her veins just like you and I do. And I'm thinking if I've been taken out of my homeland, if I've been robbed from my family, if I've been robbed from my uh, circumstances that I'm so familiar with and my surroundings that I'm so familiar with, and I've been placed in this heathen's homeland and in his house to, to serve them and to take care of them, I'm just thinking that there's probably enough of Anthony that's still living in me. And I can look out at y'all and I can tell that you're a whole lot more spiritual than I am. But I'm just thinking that I'd probably think, well, good readings. He finally got what he deserved. But now none of y'all would say that. But this little girl said, let me tell you, there's a person behind that leprosy. There's a soul behind that leprosy. There, there's someone behind that leprosy that my God can change. And in the midst of being a captive servant, there was a caring and a compassion in her heart and in her life that only God could make happen. Not only do we see the caring of a God-fearing captive servant, we see the faithfulness of a God-fearing captive servant. Notice what she says again in verse 3. Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For it's, it, it, it may be that he would recover him of his leprosy. Is that what your scripture says? Or, or it's possible that he might recover him of his leprosy. Is that what your scripture says? That's not what it says. If yours says that, trade it in, get you a new one. He would recover him of his leprosy. Here's what she said. I'm telling you, I know where there's a prophet that is in such touch with an almighty, righteous, and holy God. And he knows the will of God and the plan of God. He's in such clear contact with him. I'm telling you that there may not be anyone in Syria that can take care of this leprosy. But I know where there's a prophet of God. And that prophet of God, let me tell you what he can do. He can even change a leper's life. 
Now, that's the faithfulness of this little maid girl. That's the faithfulness of this little servant girl. He would recover him. And by the way, her faithfulness, her faithfulness was even greater and even beyond the faithfulness of the king of Israel. Do you remember what we just read about him a moment ago? So the king of Syria sends a letter along with Naaman. They take it to the king of of Israel. He reads the letter. I've sent Naaman so that he could be uh, removed of this leprosy. And man, he falls apart. Who does this guy think I am? Who who does he think that I have the gift of life in my hands? And and what am I supposed to do with a leper? Let me tell you what he's doing. He announces to all those in his cabinet. He said, I'm going to tell you what he's doing. He's just starting a quarrel with me. He wants to make me look bad in the front of other people. It never even dawned on him that there was a God of Israel that could take care of that leprosy. But here, this little maid girl that's in a foreign land, captive, has enough compassion and enough faith to say, if you just get him to the man of God, God can do great things in his life. Well, we see the caring of a God-fearing captive servant, the faithfulness of a God-fearing captive servant, and then the persuasion of a God-fearing captive servant. Look look again in verses 4 and 5. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. And don't, don't miss this. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Can I tell you that those two verses, and particularly the first part of verse 5, are one of the most amazing uh, sentences to me in all of the Bible? It's really not that amazing. Stay with me. Stay with me. She's a captive servant in a foreign land that says if you would get Naaman back to the prophet that's in Israel, He could be healed of his leprosy. Now, if I'm on the outside looking in, I'm at First Baptist Church of Locust, and I'm reading the Word of God, and I read that. You know what my first question is? Who does this little girl think she is? I mean... Somebody says, oh, by the way, King, uh, you need to know there's a little servant girl down in Naaman's house. And, and she says there's somebody in, in Israel. Who does she think? She's a servant girl. I'm not paying any attention to her. That is not what he said. Here's what he said. Let me start drafting a letter to sin with Naaman. Now, you may think I'm crazy. But And I'm not even sure if the Lord's going to allow such as this. But if he does allow it, one of these days in glory, I'm going to ask the Lord if I can meet this little girl. If she had enough authority in a captive land, in a servant house, that the king of a foreign land said, if that little girl said there's somebody that can heal Naaman, I'm writing a letter, you get the horses together, pack the chariots with whatever we need, we're sending him over there. I believe what she says. Something has gone on in this little girl's life in the past that we are not privileged to. Something has happened. Something has been said. Something has been done through her, by her, in her, in some way that the very king of Syria said, we're going to do what she 
said. You remember what I said in my introduction? That sometimes we are given the names of people that are in the Bible and sometimes we read about people that we don't even know their name. She's not even named. I don't even know her name. But I'm just telling you, if the Lord allows certain things, I'm going to ask him one day, Lord, would you let me meet that little girl that had so much authority in a heathen land that the king of Syria listened to what she said? Now, you may be thinking, that's a great story, preacher. But what in the world does that have to do with me? Well, because all through my ministry, I encounter people that, that tell me things like, Preacher, I'm, I'm, I'm working in a job that I hate. I, I'm working around people that I just, I'm telling you, it's just a burden to me. I'm over here, I'm over there, I'm in the midst of this, I'm down here. I don't know why God has me here. I wish I could be over there. I wish I could be somewhere else. Maybe God wants to use you where you are to do some marvelous things. Maybe in what seems like a heathen land where nobody cares about you and nobody's listening and then all of a sudden somebody starts drafting a letter because they know you're in touch with a holy and righteous God. I want to meet that little girl. One day, yonder in glory. Well, we see the description of Naaman. We see the intervention for Naaman. And then finally, we see the transformation of Naaman. In verse 9, the Bible says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot. Man, can you just not see this parade coming? I mean, you, uh, from a long ways off from Elisha's house, you can see the dust rising. I mean, here they come. They, they are on. They find themselves in a stampede coming to Elisha's house, horses and with chariots. And, and they stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now, Naaman's greatest need was not some new scenery. Naaman's greatest need was not a new spear. Naaman's greatest need was not the latest model of chariot that was coming out on the, on the horizon. His greatest need was not a pay raise. His greatest need was not a different church or a makeover. Naaman needed an encounter with Jehovah God that would bring him to a total surrender in his life. And so here he is. He stands at the house and the door of Elisha. Why is he there? Because of all the great things that Naaman has ever done, he now realizes that he faces a situation that is beyond his own ability. You know, when, when I've seen God do some of his greatest work, it's whenever people realize that their back's against the wall. And they realize that they've exhausted all of their own ability. They've put forth their very best effort. They've done all that they can do. And they can't seem to get beyond the situation that they find themselves in. You know what I've realized? I told a gentleman just this recently. He was telling me about the things that had gone on in his life. And they, he has been through a situation. 
And I told him this. I said, dear brother, if I know anything about God, if I understand anything about the Scripture, I can tell you this. You're in the perfect place for God to do something great in your life. Because God does great things in the lives of people that realize they are beyond their own abilities. That's the reason Naaman was there. Listen to me. He would have never gone there. He would have never gone there if he didn't realize he was beyond his own abilities. Can I tell you something else? A person will never come to Christ until they realize they're beyond their own abilities. As long as they think they can still keep working their way into heaven somehow, as long as they still think that they're somehow good enough to get to heaven, they're, they're, they're good enough to be better than the other person, and, and, and they're, just, they're just working on their own to get there. As long as they continue to think that, they'll never come to Christ. But whenever the Holy Spirit of God comes in that person's life and he convicts them and lets them know without the shed blood of Jesus Christ being applied to their life, there is no hope in eternity for them. That's when they'll run to the master. He was beyond his own ability. But then he found himself beyond his own reasoning. Verses 10 and 12, through 12, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Notice what he said. Naaman had to overcome his greatness at this moment. He said, I thought he will surely come out to me. Let let me give you a modern day Anthony paraphrase. Who does this guy think he is does he not know that i'm the captain of the host does he not know i'm a man of honor does he not know i'm a man of valor he sends some messenger out to talk to me he won't even come out of the house and address me who does this guy think he is i'm telling you by his own attitude and his own words at this point in naaman's life naaman has still not gotten over himself he's still thinking he's got the bull by the horns he's still the one in charge even his leprosy had not caused him to rethink his own greatness. Every now and then, people I hear people say, and folks have said, you know what, I hope it doesn't take something as uh, great in a, that person's life to, to bring them to the Lord. I want to remind you what Psalm 32, 6 says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou may beest found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Every now and then somebody thinks that some great and horrific event It's what it's going to take to bring someone to God. Can I tell you this? Sometimes even that won't happen. 
Naaman found himself in a situation that was beyond him, but he still did not see that it was beyond his greatness. He was still looking to Naaman. Who does this guy think he is? Naaman had to overcome his greatness, and I'm telling you, if you'll ever spend eternity in heaven, you'll have to overcome your greatness as well. You'll have to fall before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you're going to do it either way. You'll either do it now or you'll do it later. And as the old saying goes, you better do it now. Naaman had to overcome his greatness Naaman had to abandon his own strategies. He said, let me tell you something. We've got some good rivers where I'm from. I was blessed, uh, I think, back in 2000 to be able to go to Israel. And I've, I've been to the Jordan River. And I'm telling you, there are parts of the Jordan River. It is a nasty river. Whenever you think about the Jordan River, I don't know, you just sort of conceive in your mind, oh, this is a beautiful flowing river, and you can see to the bottom and all that. I'm telling you, there are parts of the Jordan River that I would not want to get in. And that's exactly what he thought. (laughs) Let me tell you something. If all I've got to do is dip in a river somewhere, I've got some rivers far better than the Jordan River. I don't need to go down there and be a part of that. But you see, he was still looking at Naaman Naaman at this point as far as he's concerned is still in charge he's still in control he had to overcome his greatness he had to abandon his own strategies they said let let me ask you something master his servant said let me ask you if if he asked you to do some great thing wouldn't you have done that to be healed of your leprosy So he says, go down to the Jordan. Big deal. If that's what it takes, Master, why don't you do it? We've already come all this way. And so he abandons his greatness. He abandons his own strategies. And he had to become submissive to the word of God. Verse 14. Then when he down and dipped himself seven times. Now we're beginning to see Naaman give up. Because if there was any part of Naaman that was still trying to rise to the top, you know what he'd have said? After that first dip, any change? Nope. Second dip, any change? Nope. Third dip, any change? Nope. I'm out of here. No, no. The man of God said seven times. Now Naaman is beginning to surrender. Not three times, not five times, not six times. He follows the plan and the word of God. Dips himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. Now watch. Whenever he finally got over himself, he looked differently. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You know, we all know that salvation is a spiritual thing. We, we all know that, that being born again is an etern- uh, internal thing that has eternal consequences and rewards. But can I tell you something? Salvation and being born again is not just internal. It's external too. I have visibly seen what happens in a person's life 
whenever the Lord Jesus Christ relieves them of the penalty and the weight of their sins, and they are a free person. I'll never forget. He's, he's with the Lord now, but I'll never forget Roy Harville. The Sunday after he got saved, as I stood at the back of the church and he came out to shake hands, whenever he came by me that Sunday, he stuck his hand out. Long before he ever got there, he said, Preacher, I want to tell you something. It felt so good to stand in the invitation today. He said, every time I've stood in this invitation, it was always a weight on my shoulders. I always felt overwhelmed and overcome. But today, I'm a free man. Hallelujah. It is internal, but praise be to God, it's external as well. It's amazing what God will do in your life if you'll just give up on yourself. And trust in him. He looked differently. He acted differently. We didn't read verse 15, but look at it with me. And he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Now, he was ready to write Elisha off a little while ago. Who does this guy think he is? He won't even come out and talk to me, sends his messenger out, sends me to some dirty, stained-up river to dip in. I don't know who he thinks he is. I'm going back to the house. And now he comes back to Elisha, welcomes him with open arms, thanks him, greets him, shows him honor. Here's a man of honor showing Elisha honor. And he says, can I, can I just give you a gift? Can, can I just somehow, some way, show my appreciation to you for, for what you've done and, and how your God has blessed me? Is there anything that I can do in return? Now, we all know, listen, all of us know that no Christ is Savior. We know that a person cannot work their way into heaven. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know that we cannot work our way into heaven, but since we're going to heaven anyway, we'll work for him as we go. He said, just, just let me do something. Let me do something to show how appreciative I am for what God has done in my life. Let me tell you something. A person that really knows the Savior. A person's life that has been changed by the blood of the Lamb. They will have an indebtedness in their life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He looked differently. He acted differently. He worshipped differently. Those words at the end of verse 15, he says, Behold, now I know, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Then look down at verse 17. Now I'm going to go ahead and admit with, uh, to you that commentators have uh, several different thoughts about this verse 17. But, but listen, he says, And Naaman said, Shall not there, uh, sh- shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth now we're in old testament times, so 
He might have said, I, I want two of those big double wheel wheelbarrows. But, but in those days, they didn't have double wheel wheelbarrows. They had mules. So he said, I want two mule loads of dirt from Israel so that I can take back home with me. Now, as I said, commentators have all kind of different thoughts about this. Some say he's, he's, he's still, he's new in his faith, new in his belief, and, and, and he's, he's being superstitious here. I, personally, I don't believe that. Here's what I believe. I think that he realized, man, I'm walking on some holy ground right here. I mean, God has done something in my life that I don't think would have happened anywhere else unless I'd have been obedient and come here. And, and I think he said, can I just take some of this dirt back with me? And whenever I get back home, maybe he was going to build an earthen altar. Maybe he was just going to have a place where he spread out in front of his house. Maybe it was even going to be in the dirt floor of his house. They had dirt floors back then. In the dirt floor of his house. And maybe he said something, everywhere I walk, I want to walk on holy ground because of what God has done. I'm, I'm not sure about the details, but I do know this. He did not want to get far from the place where God had changed his life. Let me tell you something, Christian. That's where we ought to be dwelling every day. We ought to have a desire, a deep burning desire in our hearts and our lives to live as closely and to walk as closely on holy ground as we possibly can. So let me ask you, are you perhaps tonight a Naaman? A Naaman that, in a nutshell, if you're to be real honest, you just really need to get over yourself. And to realize, you know what, I've been quarreling and complaining and, and all this stuff, and, and what I really need to do is just surrender to a holy and righteous God and give myself to Him in a fresh new way. Maybe for the very first time, maybe in salvation tonight, you've never said yes to Jesus, and tonight you need to surrender to Him for the very first time. Now, I said surrender, not commit. You do know there's a difference. I have a pastor friend lived over in Wilmington named Dr. Bill Bennett. He took a trip to Africa on a mission trip. While he was there, he was working and teaching some of the African pastors. He shared this story with me. He said, while I was there, he said, one of the African pastors came to me and he said, uh, Pastor Bennett, I've noticed that you American pastors don't talk much about surrender. You talk a lot about commitment. And so Dr. Bennett thought, well, it's just a breakdown in, in translation between the English and, and their language. And he, so he said to him, well, dear brother, they're pretty much the same. To which the African pastor said, oh, no, Pastor Bennett. 
He said, commitment is when you take a piece of paper and you write out on that piece of paper all the things that you're willing to do for God and you sign your name down at the bottom and you hand it to God. He said, oh, he said, surrender is when you take a blank piece of paper and you sign your name at the bottom and you hand it to God and say, you fill in the blanks. So I want to ask you, are you ready to get over yourself and surrender to God? It'll change your life. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your outlook on life. I wonder, do we have any little maids tonight? That you feel like maybe you're serving in a place where you don't need to serve and you shouldn't be there anyway and nobody around you appreciates you and, and on and on and on. Have you stopped to think that maybe God has you right where you are so that he can touch somebody's life that maybe would never ever be touched? if not for you. We don't even know her name. One of these days, I hope to meet her yonder in glory. So what does God want to do in your life tonight? What is it that he wants to overcome in your life? So that he can use you when, where, and how he wants you to be used. You say, well, preacher, I tell you, I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I just, I just don't think God's got anything else for me to do. Well, I can tell you at this very moment, that's not true. Because God has a very unique way of letting us know whenever he's through with us down here. It's called death. And until then, God can use you to do great things. The pastor's going to come. The musician's going to come. I ask you very quietly, let's just have a time of prayer. Now, Lord, I don't think you would have me to travel these miles unless there was somebody that needed to hear this message. Maybe somebody here tonight thinking, you know what, I, I'm so unrecognized, people don't even know my name. <laughs> oh, but how you use people that we don't even know their names. Maybe someone tonight that just needs to get over themselves so that you can have your way. Whatever the need, wherever they are, I pray that your precious word will speak to them where they are so that you can bring them 
where you want them to be. And I ask, Lord, that you might do it even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?
something to be said about desperation. That is the one place none of us want to go. That is the one place none of us desire to be. But that is the one place where we find salvation. When we finally come to a place of desperation, that's when we find salvation. So I... That's what I kept thinking as we were talking about Naaman. He had to reach a point of desperation before he could finally be made new again. Thank you again for being here. God bless you. Uh, those of you that are our guests, thank you for coming tonight. Brother Joe, good to see you, man. Appreciate you coming. Uh, we're going to uh, have a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Anthony, I'm going to go back here and uh, shake hands. If you want to bring your bodyguard with you, you're welcome to do it. Um, and we'll just uh, take an opportunity to greet everyone as they make their way out. I look forward to seeing you uh, this coming Sunday morning as we worship together, and then next Monday night as we worship uh, as Dr. Mike Whitson will be with us as our guest preacher. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Our Father and our God, again, thank you for your word that is alive and active and true. Lord, it always is relative no matter who we are, where we've been, no matter what time it may be in history, it's always relevant. We thank you, Lord, for how you've taught us tonight through Naaman and this servant girl, uh, how you desire to work in our lives. So, Lord, I just pray that we take what we've learned tonight, the truth that we've been given, and that we incorporate it not just uh, into our memory bank, but we incorporate it into our life, that we, we live differently tomorrow because of what we have we have been confronted with tonight may it transform us and change us forever the core of who we are we love you lord we ask you to dismiss us with your great love keep us safe as we travel our separate ways and just pray lord that you'll bring us back at the next appointed hour for us in jesus name we pray